turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 13, read down to verse 17. Then Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him, and he taught them. Then, moving on, he saw Levi, that is, Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he, Matthew, got up and followed Jesus. While he, Jesus, was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also guests with Jesus and his disciples because there were many who were following him. The scribe, when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick ones do. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray together. Father, help us as we take a few moments and appear into your word tonight. Help us to see your place for us in ministry. Help us, Lord Jesus, to know what it is that you want us to do individually and collectively. I pray that you'll speak words to us even tonight that will call us to yourself, that we can be true Matthews, respond to the example of Matthew. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Without equivocation, I want to say this to you. The goal of every authentic follower of Christ should be to live for him, to live like him, to lift him up, and to radically love our Lord Jesus. That should be our goal. We're to be like him daily. We're not to live compartmentalized lives. That is to say, the language we use on Sunday should be the language that we use Monday to Friday. The actions we take on Sunday should reflect, be reflected in our Monday through Saturday actions. The, the uh, commitment that we uh, espouse to on Sunday should be found all week long. And I think we find that in the life of Matthew. I think we get a little glimpse, a little snapshot, a little picture. Because you see, the Scripture teaches us in pictures of what it means to be like Jesus. Matthew is an important figure in, in Scripture because he teaches us so many things. Things that we need to emulate, things we need to follow, things we need to go after. In fact, Matthew's picture is so startling that Dr. Graham felt like his model is the model that could literally be the last major push for evangelism in Dr. Graham's life. He chose that we could use that to reach lost America. Now be aware <clears throat> that my hope with Billy Graham will be offensive to the religious. But it is equally true that it's offensive because of who we go after, who we target, 
who we reach. And that Jesus literally cast aside the religious many times in lieu of his real focus of ministry. And he said it right there. I didn't come to call the well people. They don't need a doctor. Those people who think they're well, I came to call sick people. So as we think about Jesus doing this, I want us to take a look at Matthew tonight. I want us to look at his life and his model, but I'm not going to tell you about Matthew. I'm going to tell you about us. Because you see, all the things that we'll talk about are from this story will be for us. If we're going to become like Matthew, see it in two and two little snapshots. First of all, see our salvation. Our salvation. Our salvation is the process at which our journey begins. The salvation of, of Matthew is where his journey began. And I just want to pause a second to say this. We've talked a lot lately in our congregation, particularly on Wednesday night, about lost church members. Here's what I want to say to you. The only people who can really become full-fledged Matthews are those who are sure about their salvation. Long as I was unsure about my salvation, I never would talk to anybody about what it meant to be saved. Certainly wouldn't throw a party and tell people about Jesus. Salvation is the beginning point. We can do good things in the church, but we may never see someone genuinely saved until we begin right here. Now watch how it works out. Watch how Matthew's salvation works out for him. Just three little thoughts here about how it worked out. First of all, see the assessment by our Lord. The assessment by our Lord. Look in verse 14. Now, Jesus is teaching, verses, verse 13, he went out and he started teaching, doing what Jesus did. Then moving on, watch this. He saw Levi, Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the, Lord, at the, at the tax Office. When I read verses that that verse in in fourteen, you, you know what you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of that Jesus. First of all, he's always moving, he's always teaching, he's always touching, he's always healing, he's always doing what Jesus does. But you know what else? He is always he is always watching. He is watching us, just like he watched Matthew. Yes, he's the master teacher, and he's always teaching. Yes, he's the master, he's a great physician, and he's always healing. But here's what I will tell you. He saw Levi where he was. Do you know what that's a reminder for you and I? That Jesus sees us right where we are. He looked into Matthew's eyes, and he saw the deep loneliness in Matthew. When we look at Matthew, we see that Jesus, that Jesus watches, he sees and he assesses us. He did it for Matthew. And Matthew was a man, was a man who was a tax collector. He was known for his friends. He had everything this world had to offer, but he had nothing eternity offered. Does that sound like us today? I mean, think about it. Why is it that it's so difficult to buy a Christmas present or a birthday present? I mean, what do you buy for people who have everything they want? 
Is it, could it be true that we are like Matthew? Matthew sitting there wealthy beyond imagination, raking in the money. He had everything money could buy, everything this world could offer. But when it came to treasures in heaven, he had nothing. His bank account was bare up there. His 401k had never even gotten started. You see, folks, our treasures are literally where we place our focus. There are people who can't get up and spend any time with the Lord every day, but they'll grab that paper and they'll watch the stock market and they'll watch the mutual funds and they'll watch their 401K and they'll watch their retirement, but they don't have time to spend with the Lord. I declare to you, If their treasures are not being placed in heaven, their treasures are placed on earth. And Jesus assessed Matthew, and he saw Matthew being the person who had all his treasures on earth. And then he spoke to Matthew. After Jesus assesses each one of us, he assesses me, he assesses you. And when he assesses us, just like he did Matthew, then see our appeal from the Lord. Our appeal. You see, Jesus assessed Matthew, verse 14, and then in that same verse, he made an appeal. He gave, he gave an appeal to Matthew that he gives to every person. It's the same call that he'd already given the four fishermen. It's the call that he gave to Matthew. It's the call that he gives to us. It is a clear, consistent, complete, and simple call. It is. Follow me. I submit to you that the only way we can follow Jesus, doesn't matter who you are, don't matter how much money you got, don't matter how wealthy or poor you are, the only way we can follow Jesus is to do just like we've already seen in chapter 1 of Matthew. I mean, chapter 1 of Mark. The fishermen left their nets. The fishermen left their boats. The fishermen left their business. The fishermen even left their dad to follow Jesus. Now, Brother Jerry, you saying everybody's got to go into vocational ministry? Everybody's got to turn their back on their house and home and all this? No, everybody's not being called into vocational ministry, but God, but our Lord calls every one of us to follow him just as completely as the tax collector and the fishermen were called. Our Lord calls us to action. Now please listen and don't misunderstand. The Lord Jesus didn't call us to huddle in a room and spend all our time comprehending and understanding. He called us to do as he did. He called us to be on front line. He didn't call bench warmers. He called people to get out and do, and, and we do. We follow Jesus when we do. You know what I'm excited about these days around Hueytown? Hardly a week goes by in the last couple of months that I have not heard of at least, at least one person doing something in ministry they've never done before. I hear somebody going to visit, visit the nursing homes, visit the hospital, make phone calls, send cards. 
You see, that's the ministry of Jesus. That's his appeal. Follow me. That's the appeal he made to Matthew. But watch this. He said, Matthew, he looked at Matthew, he assessed Matthew, he appealed to Matthew, follow me. But watch this. See Matthew's answer, which has to be our answer, if we're going to be saved. When he called Matthew, somehow Matthew and somehow the fishermen understood in this call, follow me, they understood that Jesus was called to change their lives. He wasn't coming to take part in their life. He was coming to take over their life. You know what's interesting to me about the answer of Matthew? He never said a word. Now, did y'all hear that? He didn't get on his knees and pray the sinner's prayer. Nothing wrong with that. That gives you a point in time when you choose to follow Christ. But his answer to Christ was bound up in what he did. He got up and he followed Jesus. He left his tables and he followed Jesus. I just want to say this. Too often we say one thing with our lips and by our actions we say something entirely different when it comes to following Jesus. We say, yeah, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me go bury my father. But first let me go take care of my... Do you remember that guy that did that? But first, I got to do this. And Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, a lot of times we say, I'll follow you with our lips. And we act like an old donkey with our lives because we balk. Have you ever seen a donkey balk? I mean, you can pull on those old stubborn mules. I... My, my granddad, Papa, he had a genie, it's a Jenny, that's a, a female, and when she decided she wasn't going to go anywhere, you don't know what I'm talking about? Many times, it seems, observation, that we say, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you just as long as I don't have to go there, just as long as you don't want me to go there, just as long as you don't want me to turn my back on this, I'll follow you. And yet the answer, the only answer that Jesus really accepts, particularly when he's calling us to salvation, is to sell out, to leave it, and follow him. And by the way, Jesus will never make you turn loose of something without giving you something better in the process. You see, this is a starting point. Salvation. I dare say that some of us in this room Certainly some of us in our congregation. The eyes of the Lord, what it says in the Old Testament, range to and fro throughout the whole land for someone who would be faithful to him. I dare say that the eyes of the Lord repeatedly look into hearts. And I dare say that the call that Jesus gave to those disciples goes out, follow me. Follow me. Turn loose your sin. Turn loose your pride. Follow me. And then what answer do we give? I want to say this, and I really don't want to be misunderstood. I fear that too often that we have said a prayer that somebody repeated for us and we never, make, we never let him make the change in our lives because we never really followed 
If we're going to be Matthews, we have to be following Jesus. If we're going to be Matthews, we have to be well, people who are ready to sell out. Are we ready to sell out to him? Are we ready to give him first place in our lives so that others may know? Folks, we need Matthews desperately. We're going to learn just a second about what he did next. And he was kind of the model. But it begins right here. Salvation. The second thing we see in the life of Matthew is service. I make it our service because we are called to serve him. Now, when I look at the life of Matthew and I see verses 13 and 14 how Jesus called him, how Jesus brought him into the family, and how even with not a word, his life began to reflect Jesus. Now you get to his service in verses 15 through 17, and I just love it. What I see here is that it seems to me that when you choose to sell out to Jesus, give Jesus all you are, he takes you just like you are, and then he begins to use those strengths and those connections that you have. That's where he begins. For instance, Matthew was a wealthy man. And wealthy people, if they know how to do one thing, they know how to throw parties. I mean, they can throw the best parties. Everybody wants to go to their parties. And so Jesus quite likely said, hey, hey Matthew, let's just throw a party. Now, I want to say this to you. Anybody can throw a party. Last week, we started talking about parties. A little Eli back there said that he could throw a party. Do you all remember that? Anybody can throw a party. Matthew threw a party. But watch, and let's just learn a little bit about the party that we need to throw. First of all, I want to point you to the fellowship of the party that you would show, that you would throw as as a Matthew, the fellowship. It says in verse 15, while he, that's Jesus, was reclining at the table in Levi's house. You know what that tells me? Jesus came in and made himself at home. He tell, that tells me this was a very much relaxing. It was very much a relaxed Situation. It was, a, it was a relaxed evening. They got around the table. It didn't appear that, that Matthew went to everybody and said, you better watch your language tonight. Do you know who that is? You better watch your actions. Do you know who that is? It didn't appear that he went down and made everybody, made everybody uptight. It seems to me that as I read verses 15 and 16, that the house was full, the table was full, and everybody was having a good time. That's the party we want you to throw. Uh, you say, wait a minute, Brother Jerry, you want the house full? You don't, you, we're going to let you make the decision about how many. But whatever, however many you have, make it fun, make it relaxing. You see, if my hope is going to be a success, it will be because, it will be because it is fun to throw a party. Enjoy the fellowship. Enjoy the time together. Get to know one another. But then, the next thing you'll see, watch this. When he was reclining around the table in Levi's house, watch this. Many tax collectors and sinners were also guests with Jesus and his disciples because there were many who followed him. 
Now think about our friends. Matthew had, you know who his friends were, don't you? I mean, think about it. Matthew was a, seen as a betrayer to his people because he worked as an IRS agent. His friends were other people just like him. When Jesus had looked into the life of Matthew, he had seen someone who was rich in this world but poor in eternity because he was a wicked man, because he stole from the people, because he was a selfish man, because he wanted things for himself. He was a greedy man. I mean, the list goes on and on. And the only people who would hang with Matthew are people just like him. And now here they found themselves in the house together. They're the ones that came to the party. Did you know what... The most natural thing in the world should be that a believer who follows Christ becomes a soul winner inviting people who are outside of Christ into their home so they can tell them about Jesus. And by the way, particularly for new converts, have all kind of folks around them who don't know Jesus. I remember Johnny Hunt First Baptist Woodstock telling about when he got saved back in the late 70s, early 80s, he was talking about he was, a, he was a drinker. He had a bar he went to and said he got saved, and he didn't go back to that place. And next thing he knew, they were saying, oh, Johnny Hunt, he's ungod- he got religion, so he's too good for us. And he said, I had to go back down there and ask those guys to forgive me. He said, because those are the very people that Jesus died for. I understand what some of you are saying. Well, Brother Jerry, I've been in the church so long, I don't know many lost folks. I want to say this to everybody here. I look across the congregation, and many, if not most, if not all, well, most, have spent a lifetime in this community. You may not run with those folks whom you know are outside of Christ and outside the church, but you know who they are. And you know what else? When you go out every day, you encounter people. You encounter acquaintances and and neighbors and probably even family who are outside of Christ, who you need to make it a point to befriend. I mean, I I hate to say this because it sounds like I'm putting us down, but maybe we need to be put down. We have taken 2 Corinthians 6, 17 where it says, come out from among them, be separate. We've taken it the wrong way. What that's telling us is not to go into a partnership with someone who does... uh, um, an unbeliever, not to marry someone who's an unbeliever, not to have mismatched mates, not to have all those things, but we must be a friend to the friendless. We must offer hope to the hopeless. We must offer help to the helpless. We've got to see the fields of people that they're white, white unto harvest, and we must not offer them a hand out. We must offer them a hand, and that hand is the hand of Jesus. Sometimes, just in passing, we rub shoulders with lost people. Have you ever thought about developing a relationship with someone just for the purpose that after they get to know you, you can tell them about the Jesus who saved you? Now, here's the tough part of what I'm, what I'm telling us. The religious crowd gets really uncomfortable with this. I mean... The religious person values his or her turf and really don't want anybody coming in from the outside to rain on their parade. I 
I want, I want us just to think about it a second. If we're able to partner with the Billy Graham and all the other churches who will be doing this, and we're able to bring some people to Christ who have not ever known Christ, never gone to church, we may well wind up with some folks in here who are not church broken. Don't not act in church. Don't know what to do when they get inside of a church. As far as my two cents worth, I have discovered that new believers are to the church what CO2 is to the, is to the pop. It's the fizz. It makes it fun. Now, people that don't like to have fun, don't like to shout for joy, don't want new believers in the place. I'm reminded of First Baptist Church, Pensacola, Florida. Deborah and I spent about half of our married life in that area. First Baptist Pensacola has a lot of good people. Isn't that something? Has a lot of good people in it. And, uh, uh, but it's a very formal, no amen, at this time. This has been 20, 25 years ago. And you just didn't say much. Well, the pastor was real evangelistic, and he had someone saved from a motorcycle gang. You'll appreciate this, Rod, from a motorcycle gang. The boy had tattoos all over, and he's just a rough customer. And there he is in First Baptist Pensacola. He didn't know any better than this. So when Brother Cecil baptized him, First Baptist Church, Pensacola, the boy was so excited that he put him under, and when he came up, he said, Woohoo! It disturbed some of those religious folks. But here's what I will tell you is that is that that type of excitement and enthusiasm, I think, is what's said in the Old Testament when Nehemiah says, The joy of the Lord is my strength. When, he, when the psalmist writes, Clap your hands, all you people. Shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. Now, I understand that these type of people, this type of response, will mess up the religious and those who do church by mismanners. But here's what I will tell you. The Pharisees are the ones who got upset. When you read this in verse 16, they were upset that there were some uh, non-church, non-religious people in the house. And Jesus spoke very fluently to them. Before I leave this point about our friends, I just want to make just a couple of statements. Friends don't let friends go to hell. Hello? Matthew wasn't going to let his friends go to hell. And we shouldn't either. We should be diligent about all those folks that God puts in our path. Tomorrow, I want you to think about what was said this morning. The chief end of man is to glorify God. If you decided in the morning to get up and let everything you do tomorrow glorify God, I guarantee you what will happen. God's going to put someone in your path that's going to rub you the wrong way. And when you look through the eyes of God and glorifying him instead of your own selfish desires, you're going to discover that their deepest and darkest need is a relationship with Jesus. And God may have put that person in your path to irritate you to get your attention so that you can be the very one, not in a pharisaical way, but in a very loving way, to talk to them about their eternal destination. Because I will tell you, whoever you meet tomorrow, they're going to die one day if the Lord didn't come back. 
I want to encourage you to be making some new friends. We still have these lists from last week. We'll be talking with Matthews about it, about people can be invited to your party. I want, to be, I want you to be very intentional about making friends over these next six months. Friends, not to replace your longtime friends. That'd be crazy. But friends to, to, to be in your life that, that God would allow you to use like you did Matthew. And when the party gets here, you'd know what to do. That brings us to the last thought in our service. Our fellowship, make it relaxing. Our friends, invite those folks God calls you to. And finally, our focus. This party's going to be a little bit different, just like Matthew's was. Focus on him. Focus on them. Focus on getting them together. May I just give you a personal testimony? Some of you will know what I'm talking about. Some of you won't like what I'm talking about, but it's all right. I remember when I first got into vocational ministry. I was a staff person, wasn't a pastor. And I remember that there were times when the staff was more concerned about pleasing the members than about pleasing the master. You know what that, you know what the result of that was? The result of that was that we stayed so distracted trying to please people in time that we never were able to please the master for eternity. And I'm just going to give you a couple of thoughts. If we spend our time trying to please, focusing on pleasing people, two things will be, two things will be true in your life. Number one, you'll never please God. If you're trying to please other people, you'll never please God. The second thing, you may wind up in a psych ward because people turn on a dime. And the things they wanted you to do today will be offensive to them tomorrow. So let's learn from Jesus. Here he is doing what he does best. What he does best, he meets people one at a time, and he changes lives one at a time. And in this crowd, now we didn't go back and read it. Do I need to go back and read verse 16 for the Pharisees, the scribes of the Pharisees? I saw who was there. They didn't like it. They were saying, hey, whoa, we never did it this way before. You got the wrong people here. Jesus did not get divine on them. He got logical on them. He said, look, why would I spend all my time with those folks who feel like they've got it all figured out? They don't need me, honestly. The people who really think they got it all figured out don't want Jesus. Why don't I spend my time with the people who need help? These are the ones I came to touch, reach, and heal. I suggest to you, as I read about the life of Jesus, Jesus, is, Jesus was laser-like in his focus. He always saw people. His, his focus was conveyed to new believers, like Matthew, to focus on the friends. As far as I can tell, Matthew was the very first one to get this. 
He was the very first one to implement it. To be a Matthew, we must focus on those who need to know Jesus. To be a Matthew is found is to be found saved. To be Matthew, Matthew is to be found in service. To be a Matthew is to be found faithful in sharing Christ. And now we have a tool in our hands that will help us share Christ. So many people, so many people need Jesus. A lot of times we in the church, we find ourselves counting hymn books and pews and fighting over things that don't matter. If we're going to be a Matthew, we're going to have to be found saved and in service. We have to be found focused. At the core, I believe that we're a good people. I believe that God is even trying to do something in and through us. We've been praying for God to give us a tool to reach the loss of our community. And what do you know? Billy Graham sent us a tool. Could it be that we've become so distracted with things here on earth, with things of this world, that we've forgotten the words of Jesus and the example set to us by Matthew? Could it be that we've lost our focus and don't realize it? Could it be that we've been distracted by other things? Everybody knows what day December the 7th is. So day Pearl Harbor was attacked before my time. Actually, it's before my dad could even serve. Pearl Harbor was a mess. Scores and scores of sailors were trapped in those ships, and there was no way to rescue them. So they suffocated. They died of thirst. They died of starvation. And until I began to read about them, I didn't realize that many of them lived two weeks or longer before they died. Louis Gabrinsky was a 21-year-old sailor from Erie, Pennsylvania, and he was sent on December the 8th to the West Virginia, one of the ships that had been struck, to stand guard. As he stood guard, he heard the tapping of people down in the boat that were still alive. And the powers that be came and they took a look and concluded there was no way to rescue those soldiers because there was so much other stuff to be done. Now listen, 
I didn't share that story to denigrate our naval officials. Certainly, the world was in a mess. But I only want to ask this question. Knowing what our primary directive from our Savior is, have we decided there's too much other stuff to be done? That we've been distracted away from reaching people who are trapped in sin? Have we determined that there's too much to do to, to rescue people who are headed for a certain death and hopeless on their own? The Lord is calling us to be Matthews. He's calling us to throw a party. He's calling us to introduce a few people to Jesus. I want to suggest this to you quite likely. There are people already in your life that God has put there, giving you the influence in their life. And being a Matthew would give you the opportunity of a lifetime to make a difference. Will you? Let's pray together.